Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Francisco L. Borges and the Melville Charitable Trust. Excuse me, miss, what are you doing? I purchased a reclinable seat, so I'm reclining. But this is an opera, not an airplane. I know, but opera usually puts me to sleep, and it's dangerous for me to fall asleep in an upright position. I have cervical zygopophysial joint pain pattern disorder. I don't care if you have cervical zygopophysial joint pain pattern disorder. Your seat is crushing my knees. And I have atlanto-occipital and lateral synovial joint inflammation. Well, if you do... You should maybe buy a seat there. That does it. I'm walking out. Help! Usher! What seems to be the problem? This woman has cervical zygopophysial joint pain pattern disorder. She fell asleep on my atlanto-occipital and lateral synovial joint inflammation. Fascinating. I have hypnopompic sleep paralysis disease. I hate going to sleep. That's why I work as an usher at night, even though I run a successful hedge fund. Shh! Shh! Shut up! I'm having a wonderful dream about reclining seatbacks and people walking out of operas. Oh, Mandy Patinkin, why do you have cheese in your hair? And now the guy who told Obama, wear the suit. Tan is very slimming. Colin Mack. <laughs> All right, welcome to the news. Yes, she's right. We are all wearing tan suits, but presidential tan suits. We could declare war in these suits, and we may do just that. This week, who should have more rights, the woman who wants to recline her airplane seat back or the guy behind her trying to protect his knees? A flight to Denver stopped in Chicago to kick two people off because they couldn't work that out. And a New York Times essay asks, when, if ever, can you walk out of a live performance? Also on our radar today, a few signs that mass culture is ready to, ready to declare war on Internet trolls and some other signs that the war has already been lost. On the panel today... Susan Campbell walked out of a Siegfried and Roy performance when she decided the Tigers were throwing the fight. She's the current Robert C. Vance Endowed Chair in Journalism and Mass Communication at Central Connecticut State University. She's the author of uh, several books, including the biography Tempest Tossed the Spirit of Isabella Beecher Hooker. Jacques Lamar staggered drunkenly out of a 1971 Gabor Sisters review because Zeppo Gabor had not been included. He is the badass problem solver for the Mark Twain house and an acclaimed playwright. Right. Luis Figueroa stormed out of an electronic dance music festival because he disapproves of battery-operated twerking. At Trinity College, he is an associate professor in the Department of History and serves as coordinator of the Film Studies program. So that's who's here today. And uh, we're going to start with this whole idea of when, and we welcome your thoughts about this, uh, at 860-275-7266. When, if ever, can you walk out of a live performance, or for that matter, a movie, although I think the rules for movies are a lot different. Uh, William Grimes, writing in today's New York Times, says, Wherever films are shown, plays are presented, operas are mounted, and rock stars strut the stage, there are unhappy spectators squirming in their seats and working up the courage to bolt. Sometimes it is, it is a lone renegade. More common is the dribbling defection, usually during intermission, when patrons slink away unnoticed, shrugging off the cost of their $200 tickets. On rare occasions, 
when, in, when the relationship between stage and audience breaks down catastrophically, enraged ticket holders stream out the front doors like East Berliners flooding the West when the wall came down. So with the fall art season getting away, getting underway, William Grimes decided to ask people uh, on Facebook and places like that uh, if they had ever walked out of things, and if so, why? He found a, he found a myriad of reasons, as we say. So uh, we'll go straight to the guy who's uh, in the performing arts. I've never walked out of a Jacques Lamar play, and I never will. But uh, you know, working at the Hartford Stage Company and stuff, you must have I've had to deal with this a lot. This question of uh, and, and I mean, you've been a critic, you've been, and, and you see people in the audience do this. I don't. Do you have any sort of basic set of standards? You said you walked out of a movie the other day. Uh, I I'm a big fan of the walkout in some <laughs> regards. I mean, I do at live performance movies. There's, there's no break, and so. You know, if I'm not sitting there and enjoying it, and whatever the you know definition of enjoying it is, as far as you know being engaged and what have you, you know, I feel no compulsion of having to sit there. I I would be more worried about just disrupting the experience of people around me. Um, but I feel like, uh, and we talked about this in my office before we came over as to whether or not people have or or would ever leave something, and I feel like. For the amount of time and money that, um, you know, the respect that the people on stage deserve, the audience also, you know, there's a a certain respect that extends back. And so if something's truly horrific, I'll, you know, I'll wait till intermission. But I've gotten up during live performances because, you know, it wasn't feeling well or what have you. So I, so much of it is up to the judgment of the person who's sitting there, provided they have good judgment. But... <laughs> Um, you know, I feel like if if you're being held in torment, you know, and, and intermission comes along, by all means, leave. Uh, Suburban Recluse tweets, anytime it involves adult performers and you don't want to be there, then you can leave. But you must stay if it's kids performing. So let's stay with the live <laughs> thing for a second. We can come back to movies in a second. But it does seem with a live performance, there are a bunch of different stakeholders, right? There's sort of you and how you're feeling and what's going on inside you. There are the people on stage, you know, who really did – probably work pretty hard to get ready for this and and who might be a little bit dispirited if you at least didn't even wait until intermission to walk out. Uh, there are the people around you who may be discommoded by you, you know, stomping your way down the aisle. Uh, so so it, is it ever worth it? You walked out at Cats, huh? I did. I found it interminable. Yeah. It was it, it hurt. <laughs> and I wish I was a big enough grown up to have sat there and sat quietly and not wiggled. Did you come, did you come back from intermission and then leave? Do you remember? I left at intermission. You left at intermission. Okay. I was done and I've never walked into a Jacques, I'm sorry, out of Jacques Marfle. <laughs> <laughs> I've been waiting to say that. I I I think it's I like I said I I feel guilty about it because the, obviously the performers have put some time in there but life's awfully short. Uh, 860-275-7266. Will you walk out? Do you walk out? Have you walked out? And under what circumstances? 860-275-7266. Luis, do you have any rules of thumb about this? Um, I was thinking uh, for you guys, I mean, for me, it's how, how, how painful it could be um, in my ears, uh, like I said before, um, in our email exchanges. Um, but I have been in performances of plays or watching certain movies where there was a situation where I didn't like the performance or the movie or scenes or whatnot. And I really, I don't remember uh, ever walking out of that situation. So one of the questions that I have for you guys that have walked out is, 
how long does it take you to make the decision? What is the, like the triggering moment when you finally, after suffering for what, 10, 15 minutes, half an hour, what's the final thing that triggers you getting up? Because I was at a play last winter or spring at the Hartford stage. I think, if I remember well, the title was somewhere. It was about the displacement of this Puerto Rican family uh, for the construction of Lincoln Center. And I thought it was a very poor play, both in terms of the storytelling art and the politics of it. Um, and I went to the opening night, and I didn't work out uh, of the play, even though I was sitting on the last row. Mm-hmm. So what is, what is the moment when it finally makes you, because I haven't been through that. Well, you're raising a really interesting question because one argument is that, you know, if you care about the arts, if you like the performing arts, then there's some kind of fundamental covenant, right, that you have to sort of engage with the vision long enough to sort of to, to, to really experience it. Um, and th- there is also the issue of the morale of the performers. With this, the William Grimes article described an NYU performance of Macbeth where – one guy said he walked out and suddenly there were 20 people out there in the lobby with him. Well, I suddenly felt very bad for those you know, NYU student performers doing a really apparently terrible version of Macbeth. But there also is that sort of idea, well, you, you really have to stay. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I wanted to walk out of a play at the Harvard Stage Company. I'm not going to say which one because it would, I know it would upset Jacques. And it had more to do with the mood that I was in than what's wrong with the play. A play that had to do why about – it was about – upset me? They haven't done one what, of my No, plays. but it would – it would, it would, maybe I'll tell you during the break. Was it, about, it, will, it will upset you. Was okay. it about cooking spaghetti? It wasn't about cooking spaghetti. But and it, was, it had really more to do with – sometimes it's the mood you're in, yeah. right? You just don't have the patience. On 300 other nights, you could do this. You'd be fine. But suddenly, as to use your phrase, life starts feeling very short. You <laughs> and know? you're going to die there. <laughs> and so you didn't walk out or you did? I, Bill Curry – was with me. He wouldn't let us leave. He, uh, he, and he sort of invoked this, that there's a sort of artistic morality here, right? Mm-hmm. You just don't walk out unless, unless I mean, just to, back, to get back to Luis's question, in, there's the, you don't walk out unless dot, dot, dot. But it's I'm offensive. not really. Well, if it's offensive, maybe you stay anyway, you know? Yeah. I don't and know. I, yeah. And I, I think you could also make the argument that there may give, there may be cookies at the end. Like if you stay, it will redeem itself for you. You'll either acquire the patience or the play will get better or the performance will get better. But I have no patience, so I would not know. Uh, 860-275-7266. Jacques, were you um, what, working at Hartford Stage when Pearls for Pigs was playing there? You know, it's so funny. I was just <laughs> talking to my coworkers about that this morning, saying that uh, I was not working there at the time. And uh, but from what I understand, you know, the the theater could, doors could barely handle the people shoving their way out of them during the production. And when I um, was working there, people would ten years later still complain about that show. Well, they, the Harvard and, Stage had an unofficial job that was a rotating job. Somebody different did it every night. This Pearls for Pigs is a play by Richard Foreman. It's a highly experimental piece of drama. Uh, if you either give yourself into it or you sit there going WTF over and over <laughs> again all night. Uh, and a lot of people did that for a while and they would get up and leave. And there was a there was a, an unofficial rotating job called goalie. Uh, <laughs> that's what they call it at the Harvard Stage. <laughs> and so that, that person was supposed to stand out in the lobby and not turn people back, make them go back in, but just sort of debrief 
beef with them a little bit. I mean, find out sort of exactly what they were reacting to. Maybe say a little something about why Hartford Stage was was staging the production. But it was kind of accepted huh. that the walkouts were going to happen. So there was like this extra play going out, uh, going out, out in the lobby, featuring the goalie and the the angry patrons. <laughs> I I remember when I. Um, Started, I worked at Hartford Stage twice, once under Mark Lamos and once under Michael Wilson. And Michael Wilson's second show of his tenure was Samuel Beckett's Happy Days with Estelle Parsons, who was tremendous in it. But, I mean, it's this woman buried in a mound of earth in the first half up to her waist and the second half up to her neck. And the uh, Michael was not prepared for people not – you know, not staying to enjoy it. And so he literally was chasing people down the sidewalks <laughs> at intermission. So the solution was cut the intermission oh, so that people – And then rough. do a talk back um, to kind of discuss people's, you know, feelings on the play or what have you. I thought it was a great piece of theater. And I did go down to New York to see a Richard Foreman play after – I had heard about Pearls for Pigs for so long just to experience it. And even in New York City, people were running out of the theater. Wow. Um, so why didn't you leave the Matthew Lopez play? Um, because I wanted to be able to discuss it later. Mm -hmm. I wanted to uh, – I kept – first of all, I, a lot of times I'm um, – a person that is very hopeful, uh, optimistic about certain things. So I oftentimes keep – stay there waiting for something to redeem the performance. That was the cookie that uh, mm -hmm. Susan was talking yeah, about. Yeah, exactly. So so in that case, I was waiting to see if later in the play there would be something that would allow me to say that I liked it. Um, and, and, and I always keep waiting and then until the final part of the play ends. Um, I – thought that that was the case in this one. I, I also thought at the same time the following. There were a lot of people. I would say most of the audience was having a great time mm -hmm. and laughing at a lot of the jokes uh, that I was not laughing at. And so I, I decided to stay also to see if I could understand the dynamic between the play and the audience, a dynamic that I was not part of. So that's part of the reason I did not, I did not leave. But like mm -hmm. I said, I was in the last row. I could have easily left yeah. and no one would have noticed. Why couldn't you have done that with cats? Why couldn't you? I was a jerk. I was, I was just thinking I got, I got apprehended by a goalie after a concert in Boston where I was leaving at the intermission. And there was this little old lady, and she was so sincere. And she said, you know you can't come back. Yay! <laughs> There's the door. I'm excited. I'm leaving. Bless her heart. When I went to see Mama Mia, um, I went with friends, and they were all super excited about it and talking about how much fun it was going to be. And I don't think I could have sat and hated that thing <laughs> one more minute. And then I started getting angry at the other people in the audience for not Who were enjoying hating it. it. And so I – but I, I toughed it out and stayed to the end and then it became this kind of weird situation because, of course, everyone's like, wasn't that great? <laughs> and so it was like if I had run away at intermission, which was <laughs> – then I wouldn't have had to face that question. All right. I'm going to – we do have some calls coming in here. Uh, we didn't really sort of – we really talked about sort of um, concert performers, not, not classical concert, concert performers, but we do have some people with stories about that. Here's Joyce from Coventry. Hi, Joyce. Hi. Um, yes, you just reminded me of a time way back in the 80s when I was at Wolf Trap in Vienna, Virginia, and went to see a Miles Davis concert, and I'd never been to him before. I didn't realize it was probably his M.O., but he had his back to the audience the whole time he was playing. And after, I'd say, probably about 20, 25 minutes, I realized he wasn't going to turn around, and I was incensed. 
And I walked out, and we were pretty much in the front as well. <laughs> but I just felt disrespected that if you want to just play Oh, where'd she go? Joyce, are you still there? Oh. She walked out on us. <laughs> uh, this is the second time Miles Davis has come up in two days. We recorded an interview with Bob Durow, which I, um, I'm really looking forward to being able to play for all of you in a couple of weeks, uh, the jazz musician. And he was talking about Miles Davis and how he used to work with Miles. And Miles, Miles, of course, would walk out on his audience. I mean, sometimes he would just play a solo and then he would leave the building and then he would come back when he felt like it. Uh, but, I mean, he, he did, you know, he, he had a very fractious yeah. I have a quick question for you. Um, what is the situation, and also for the audience, a situation in which you have a date and your date wants to leave, to walk out, and you do not, or vice versa? <laughs> you want to walk out, but your date is, finds the performance so enrapturing oh, and is mesmerized with the with with performance and you want to leave. Have you ever faced a situation like that? This came up this morning in my house, not between me and my significant other, but be- between in stories between about her and her previous significant other or a previous significant other. And they had this little rhythm, uh, which was that he would say to her, are you enjoying this? Oh, and, she, and, she, and she would say, yes, I am. And he would say, do you mind if I leave? And she would say, no, go ahead. And they were both fine with that. You know? Did they take uh, separate cars? I, I'm not I'm sure oh. how they worked out their transportation. We take separate cars for this very reason. <laughs> oh, really? So are you I not- have to get out of here now. We don't have the code words. It's like, I'm gone. And yeah. then you look over and the seat is empty. And, and Jacques, one, the other experience that I had, not to talk about my experiences all the time, but uh, I had the experience of my then wife falling asleep in the front row of Richard Thomas doing Richard III. Now, first of all, Richard Thomas, I knew Richard Thomas pretty well at the time. He was coming on my show a Name lot. Dropper. And, and Richard Thomas also is kind of a famous house counter. He's kind of famously aware of what's going on in his audiences. And so that I knew that he knew that I was sitting next to someone who was sleeping. And at intermission, I had to sort of decide whether it was worse to be asleep in the front row or to leave. And so I decided that probably just for her sake and everybody's sake was the better thing to do was to leave. But you could also have sat way over, like, I do not know this woman. And isn't that <laughs> awful that she fell asleep on you? Um, That's what I would have But been. there was no right answer, and it did actually turn out to have offended Richard Thomas <gasps> substantially. Yeah. Huh. Wow. Um, I remember a situation like this, um, and uh, the, 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 it was a movie. We called it The Cook, The Thief, His Wife, and Her Lover. Peter Greenway. Uh, mm-hmm. 1989. And I remember that the date did not want to stay and actually left and left with a car. Uh-huh. So, yes. <laughs> well, yeah. Was so, that the so last you, time you saw that person? <laughs> no, actually. But, but John, <laughs> movies, I feel like movies are, first of all, I should say, I, I do feel as though if you can leave in a not rude way, you know, either quietly during intermission or whatever, I mean, you know, I mean, it's your money, it's your time. I'm, I'm pretty committed usually to sort of trying to stay there and divine the vision of the artist. But, I mean, I also <laughs> can just... Like I also leave sometimes. I'm just it's not working for me, and that's it's not a big deal. I would never get up and walk, you know, along a row. I mean, I can't imagine circumstances when I would do that. But I also do feel as though movies are different. I mean, there's nobody. You're not going to hurt anybody's feelings. They already got you. They got your money. That you bought the overpriced popcorn that crosses the blood-brain barrier. <laughs> so you're going to have Alzheimer's disease and. You paid $14 for a Coke. If you, want, if, you, if, you want, if you want to leave, <laughs> you can leave. With this. So, All I can think of minute, is how much popcorn I, I'm, I'm under <laughs> the effects of, uh, of uh, Benadryl because of the asthma, so I might have missed this earlier. But didn't you actually walk out of David Chappelle's 
uh, Jack? David Chateau's performance here in Hartford? Yeah, yeah. yeah but, I mean, there. it wasn't a performance at that point. He, you know, he had completely broken down, and I, I stayed. He kept reminding us how much time he had left contractually to stay on stage. And after a while, I thought, you know, this is just, you know, the the freak factor of just watching the meltdown happen. <laughs> Uh, that novelty had worn off, and it was clear he wasn't going to perform. It was just hostile towards the audience, and the audience was at that point starting to become hostile towards him, and there was just no value in staying and, you know, you know, watching this evening just kind of peter out. So I did, I did walk out on that. I've walked out on opera. I've walked out oh, on, I have on and plays, symphonies. movies. I mean, I don't want people to think that I constantly storm out. It has to be really, uh, re- you know, a real breakdown between myself and the piece or just not feeling well. Um, let's go to a few calls here. Here's uh, Nathaniel in Hamden. Hi, Nathaniel. You're on the air. Hey, guys. Um, I guess I wanted to tell you about a show I went to in New Haven. It was uh, Cat Power. Um, she was playing in a church on the green, and the church was very well lit, um, so you could see everyone in there, see the, the acts pretty well. The opening act had tons of uh, sound issues. The sound guys kept running up and playing with the, the girls' instruments while she was playing. She eventually got off stage early. Cat Power comes on. She can't remember the, her own uh, songs and <laughs> is stumbling through multiple, multiple songs. The audience is os- oscillating between being like cringing and whispering to each other to openly helping her remember words to her songs. <laughs> um, and it, the uncomfortable part is that, you know, everyone can see if you're going to get up and leave. It's not like dim lighting. So you basically have to commit to, I'm going to stand up in front of a hundred some people and openly acknowledge that this show is so awful. And, you know, it's, it starts to hurt your soul after a while that <laughs> they can't get through a single song of their own choosing. Um, and so it was probably, I've never walked out on a show before and I've been to some pretty weird ones, but the fact that she couldn't, you know, get through a full song was kind of the limit for me, um, as far as when I would walk out on an artist. (laughs) Oops, sorry. I didn't mean to cut him off. I thought he was done. Hold on. Uh, are you still there? I want you to finish your thought. Yeah. Uh, she has like a history of like these, some of these manic shows where she cries on stage. And so, you know, you're kind of like hoping that she can get through it for her own sake because it's, you know clearly a struggle, but at a, after a certain point, it's, it's time to go. And they weren't serving alcohol. She couldn't even, you know. <laughs> drown drain, drain I would so. sort of think that people who went to those kinds of shows would also be kind of like maybe hoping they'd see one of these legendary breakdowns or something. But I, I, I feel like rock concerts are a completely different category. Yeah. I would have had no trouble walking out of that show. I mean, although it sounds like for Nathaniel, it was like a highly visible walkout. I, when I buy a ticket to a rock concert, I go and I stay as long as I want to and then I leave. And I, it's often with a group. I, I mean, I love the whole steady, but if, I, if I'm if I've been there for two thirds of the mm-hmm. show or something, first of all, everybody's drunk, including probably the whole steady. So uh, they're not going to care. I mean, I just feel like people are standing up Usually, you can just walk out. I mean, you know, you there's so to... many people going back and forth to the bathroom and whatnot during a right. concert, or on but... each other at some rock concerts. <laughs> you will be but missed. you know, with a play, it or or an opera or a symphony, it's obviously you're expected to sit down on time. Lights go down, and you stay put until the show is over or till intermission. So it does. I I mean, I like you know that question of like screwing up the courage to have to do it or what have you. And I, I remember, um, and I, it's probably still up on YouTube, when Mike Daisy was up in, I think it was yes. Boston, and a large group 
en masse of students were, you know, basically evacuated by their their group leaders or their church leaders or whatever because they didn't like the content of the show. And I, it was so hugely disruptive in what's a small theater. And they also stopped and poured water on his notes to punctuate the fact they didn't like what he was saying. I've never walked out because I didn't agree with what was going on stage or because it was offensive in some regard. It takes a lot to offend me. Yeah. <laughs> but but I, I'm more offended when something's when people are charging and it's really poorly done mm-hmm. or when it's really, really, really boring, mm-hmm. irretrievably boring. Let me grab one more call here. This sort of gets us into the area of the movies, and I kind of need to go to break here so we can get to at least uh, one, and if not two, of our other topics. But here's Barbara in Glastonbury. Hi, Barbara. Hey, Colin. How are you? Just fine. Good. So I have no qualms about walking out of movies. My husband and I went to see Cape Fear back in the early 90s when it came out, and uh, – about 20 minutes into it, De Niro bites the lead actresses. Well, we don't need to get into it. It was horrible. Mm. And so we just got up and walked out. But prior to that, um, on our first date, actually, which I will never hear the end of, um, I fell asleep in Dances with Wolves. That so. was a long movie. Well, falling asleep is like a whole other topic. But, <laughs> but did you, did, when you walked out of Cape Fear, because this is something we were talking about before we went on the air, did you ask for your money back? No. All right. No, good. we just left. Yeah, good for you. I mean, the, one of the people in the article uh, in the New York Times uh, walked out of Terrence Malick's uh, Tree of Life, a movie which I've voluntarily seen twice uh, in movie theaters, and, and asked for her money back. When, I, like, on what basis do you, can you ask for your money back? Yes. Like, I didn't like the movie. Give me my money back? Makes no sense. I don't get that. Although you said one of our nose panelists did that. We won't name her, but you did that at Bad Santa, right? Yeah, yeah. But I, I think part of it was audience behavior, mm-hmm. which the theater does is able to exercise a degree of control over. Absolutely. Well, I'm going to ex- exercise a degree of control over this conversation and call it to a close. Uh, we're going to take a break. We're going to come back. We're going to talk about reclining seats, not in movie theaters. And uh, if we have time, we will have time. We'll talk about trolls. All right, we're back. And uh, joining us right now is Susan Campbell, Jacques Lamar, and Luis Figueroa. Uh, we're going to switch uh, topics here. We're going to try to get two topics into this segment, so we can't go too long. But uh, there, were the, there was a battle in the skies um, this week, or about, about a week ago now, uh, it was on a flight to, to Denver. And the flight wound up t- stopping in Chicago because, in fact, people could not agree about the position of one person's seat back. Uh, this is uh, – the plane had to be diverted. The two passengers were removed. Uh, one of them was using a banned device, a device that's banned from airlines. It's called the Knee Defender. It costs $21.95. It's a lock that attaches to a tray table and jams the reclining mechanism of the seat in front. The male passenger uh, who was using that uh, refused to give it up, refused to let the woman in front of him recline. She threw water on him. Uh, and so they both got kicked off the plane. Um, but it sort of raises this interesting question, this kind of almost you know, philosophical question. I mean, who, who owns that space? 
who, who should have the most rights in this situation, the recliner uh, or the person who is about to be reclined upon? Luis, uh, you've been doing a lot of air travel this summer. Uh, <clears throat> yes, I, I had a trip uh, for almost a month in uh, July uh, to an early August to South America. And um, the first part of the flight was um, from Hartford to Charlotte. And then from Charlotte to Rio de Janeiro was like 10 hours or something like that flight overnight, and the seat that I got was in the middle of the row, and the guy in front of me reclined the seat, and there was no space for my knees. I'm a 6'1", and there was just literally no space, and I couldn't recline because I was against the wall at the end, um, So, I, but I was fortunate because the, the, the plane was half empty, so I was able to find another spot where there was nobody in front of me, but I have been in situations like this where my legs fall asleep. Uh, because I don't have space for my legs, because the person in front has reclined the seat, uh, um, you know, back. And now the problem is really the airlines, because the airlines, in order to make more money from the flights, they have reduced the amount of space that we have. We used to have like 33, 34 inches. Now it's down like 31 inches. Um, and so people like are about six feet and over. Uh, we we suffer from this situation now. I was trying to also be sympathetic to the. Woman in front who wanted to recline, and uh, but in the end, between not reclining or having my legs fall asleep because of the situation, I would be more sympathetic to the person in the back row. All right. So, I mean, one thing they could do, of course, is simply not have seats that recline. Mm. Um, would that solve the problem? No, you're shaking your head. I wouldn't fly. No, you, you need to recline. <laughs> I need to sleep when I'm on a plane or, yeah, I would. I, 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 Luis is right, though. I mean, they've shrunk the seat. The, the leg room so immeasurably. I'm 5'9", so it takes a lot to mash up against my knees. But I've never thought to block someone from reclining because I want to do the same. So I assume we're all doing this in tandem. Everybody <laughs> recline now. Okay, we're landing. Everyone come up. I didn't even know you could lock a seat. Yes, I didn't know either. Well, I mean, apparently this device is technically banned by most airlines. But. So so the, the flight staff came to the guy and said, dude, you can't use that. And he said, I'm leaving it there. I'd have thrown him out there. Well, yeah, they did throw him out, but they also threw the no, woman. No, midair. Oh, in midair. Oh, you got to go. It's <laughs> maybe one reason why you're not a flight attendant. It is one reason, yeah. that and the weight thing. But, yeah, probably. Yeah. Jock, where do you come out on this? Uh, you know, I I hate the reclining. Mm. Um, you know, it invariably happens in front of me. I'm uh, 5'10", and it they'll, you know, sometimes it it happens so fast that you're caught <laughs> unawares and <laughs> – they smash into your legs. It can be actually painful. Yeah. Um, but also if you have your tray down, uh, you know, and you've got a beverage on it or if you have your tray down and you have your laptop on it or what have you, that can, you know, it it causes, I th- think, more discomfort to the person who's sitting behind than the person who's not able to recline in front. But I agree that the real problem lies with the airlines. And I just want to give a shout out, an early endorsement to JetBlue for JetBlue's having great, yeah. adequate leg room for uh-huh. human beings. And you don't have to – I mean it's just everybody has it. Dude, my record, I haven't flown JetBlue in a while. But in the past when I – just buying a regular seat yep. without having to – No you know. extra. And some airlines are worse than others, mm-hmm. by the way. American, I think, in my view, is one of the worst. Uh, when I fly with American on, because I have no alternative – uh, on a long flight to Europe, to South America, or somewhere else, I really despise it. It's, just, it's mm-hmm. very difficult. I think they are, I, I don't know if this is true, but my perception is that they are the worst in terms of the space for your legs. A couple of quick calls here. We'll start with uh, Marvin in Stanford. Hi, Marvin. You're on the air. 
Hi, good afternoon, Todd. How you doing? There's a subject near and dear to my heart. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was coming back from California on a red-eye flight one night, and uh, I'm, uh, I'm 6'6". I'm a volunteer firefighter and an EMT. I, I, I had uh, we booked early, got the bulkhead door. I was more than willing, in case of an emergency, to throw anybody and anyone out the door to help out, whatever. <laughs> so, so suddenly, I had some special deeds. Okay, the gentleman I am, I relinquished my seat. They put me in another seat. My knees were actually touching the seat, even in the upright position. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. The, lady, the lady in front of me tries before I even take off to put the seat. I was like, no, 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 man, this isn't happening. I gave up my seat. I'm sitting here. Sorry, you're stuck like this. Hour into the flight, she tries it again. I had to push the seat. Listen, lady, I already asked you once. I'm nice about it. There I go. When I shut the lights off during the flight for everyone to go to sleep, she tried it again, thinking I was asleep. Crushed <laughs> my knees. I punched the back of the seat so hard, her head was like a bobblehead. It was like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm, st- I'm standing up screaming at her. I was like, just one more time, lady. Just one more time. Some guy on the other side, he stands up going, you know, what's your problem, man? And I'm like, you want a piece of me? And I started climbing over the seats. My, buddy my buddy's pulling me down. This is all pre-9-11, too. You know, this, this would have created a whole shit. Um, but, uh, you know, you know we, we land a plane. The little, little car that tows the plane, the bar gets jammed up. We're sitting about a six feet away from the gangway. They've already shut the AC down. Everyone's getting irritable. They finally, after 45 minutes, get the plane docked, move it to six feet. All of a sudden, they go, can everybody please remain seated? The marshals need to board the plane. They come on the plane. They come walking down the aisle. They see me and my buddy. He's the same height and build as I am. We're dressed the same. They go, you two, come with us. Oh. Walk us off the plane, down the gangway, into the terminal. And at the time in the terminal, they had to take these little smoking booths mm-hmm. inside the terminal. So I just give my buddy a nudge, and we go into a smoking terminal. And we sit there, and we just start smoking cigarette after cigarette after cigarette after cigarette. Eventually, these guys are just like, screw they just walked away. <laughs> They're like, okay, fine. You know what? That's the last time we're ever flying on a red eye. On a, well, you know, you said kudos to JetBlue. It was JetBlue, but... Um well, I'm amazed because the JetBlue seats are. I'm just going to just yeah. line this up because it, 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 they usually are pretty good. But, but you know, six this, six is really six tall. six. Is, the, to me, it's an argument for. I mean, one universal truth about human beings is people like to have control, right? People like to feel like they, they have control and that they can kind of alter their environments uh, the way they want to. That's why you have a little button next to your seat that says you can recline your seat. Um, of course, if you you don't have any control unless you're that guy if you're sitting behind that seat. So um, I actually think they might be better off, particularly if things like what we just heard about occur with any regularity. They might be better off just picking, you know, uh, um, an angle at which Susan Campbell would be relatively comfortable <laughs> and, you know, a certain amount of reclining, but not as much as the maximum, yeah, just, and just fixing yeah. the seat right there, well, you know, that's where so it's stays. never going to get any worse. I have a coworker who, when he gets on the plane, turns around and asks the person behind them if they mind if he reclines. That's nice. Yeah. And, you know, because that's, that's my thing is when people don't take into it, account anyone's comfort but their yes. own. Yes. All right. And in this instance, it obviously impacts the other guests. All right. We're going to switch topics here. But actually, we have a little bit of outro music, which we can uh, use to give, kind of give us a segue between uh, this and the trolls. Uh, Betsy, do you have that in there? Mm, go. Seatbacks and tray tables up Stow your newspapers and cups 
We're about to touch down Midwestern town Through the haze Cannot believe they announced Hello Kitty is not a cat. Next thing you know, they're going to be saying that the monkeys weren't real monkeys. Today's show was produced by Betsy Kaplan and me. Our interns are John Francois and Josh Nalea. Greg Hill appeared in the intro and tweets for us at WNPR Colin. Katie Talarski is our executive producer. The part of Bill Curry was played by Pikachu. For show pages, articles, and videos of the Faith Middleton Show staff walking out of a meatloaf and black-eyed pea concert because no food was served, visit WNPR.org. Can I just pause here and say that meatloaf and black-eyed peas would be the worst concert ever? Enjoy your Labor Day with a rebroadcast of our salute to drive-in movies. And now, back to Colin. All right, we're back. So uh, we're going to sort of do uh, a little bit of a format break, do a couple of things here at once before we get to endorsements. We do want to spend just a little bit of time. This is like a one-hour topic, but maybe we can talk about it really quickly. Look, the Internet is drowning in trolls. Trolls, for those of you who don't know the terminology, are people who are on comment threads and other places where they can sort of issue uh, rebukes against other Internet users. They're there for that explicit reason. They seem to enjoy uh, everybody else's anger and discomfort. So within the last week or so, I mean, we've seen things like uh, a feminist critic uh, Arnita Sarkeesian, and there is, by the way, a whole there, there's a sex role thing that comes up here a lot. An awful lot of this is directed at women. A feminist cr- critic, uh, Anita Sarkeesian, who actually had to leave her house because of a flood of violent comments and emails, uh, videos, uh, all against her and against some ideas that she had about uh, so-called tropes against women in the video game world. At Gawker, uh, the Gawker Empire, they've had to do an incredible amount of work uh, to um, – uh, to sort of cope with uh, violent images being uploaded onto comment threads uh, and uh, specifically on the site Jezebel. Uh, and not unusually, the people who run Jezebel, which is a site about women and women's issues, when they complained to the parent company, Gawker, they took them a long, long time to get the attention of the parent company. Really not until the rest of the media started covering this problem did Gawker do anything about it. Uh, we can talk, uh, if we have time, about what they did do about it. And even over, over at Reddit um, – which is sort of a user-moderated site, a site where you would think probably they'd be pretty good at controlling troll behavior. They're having terrible problems with trolls and people who run some of these subreddits, again, asking the mothership for help or perhaps the fathership for help but not getting very much. Meanwhile, though, there have been sort of indications that maybe there are people who would who, who'd like us all to kind of band together <laughs> and do something uh, about this problem. Even at the Emmys, uh, Chris Hardwick, who runs uh, the, the site Nerdist, uh, actually gave a little presenter speech in which he kind of went off script and just talked about Internet trolls. Let's hear that. Hello. Hi, everyone. I just want to talk for a quick sec about uh, something very important, uh, internet trolls. Uh, Probably getting trolled right now, that's fine, but I want to say I want to thank them. They provide a public service to everyone in this room because they dare to tell us the truth anonymously. How else would I know that I'm an unfunny douche if it weren't for at dongboobs420? But I have one important message for all the trolls out there, and I wanted to use the Emmy stage, this global stage, to get this message out. It's very important. I want them to listen. I don't know where the camera is. Okay, listen to me. This is very important, trolls. Please, understand what I'm about to tell you and write it down. Your Y-O-U-R is a possessive pronoun. Y-O-U apostrophe R-E is the contraction you are. As in you're bad at your grammar.
Uh, this is a thing that trolls really do. They actually use both of those forms, but they use them interchangeably and almost deliberately wrong, you sometimes think. But also, uh, really the same telecast. You could, you could have seen it. Uh, Richie Gervais has a new ad for Audi in which a little girl, uh, ostensibly his niece, is sitting in the back seat reading comments to him about himself. Let's hear a little bit of that. Annoying little twerp that doesn't even come from here. That fang-faced wimp, Gervais should keep his big mouth to himself and stay unfunny in his own stupid country. Loser. Uncle Ricky? Yeah? What does all this mean? It means I'm doing something right. Oh. Do you want to hear more? Do I? Ricky is a pig-nosed troll. (laughs) (laughs) So... Trolls, uh, they've been there a long time. And Susan Campbell, I want to sort of start out with you. <laughs> well, because you and I have both had the experience uh, yes. of writing on the, on the Hartford Current website where there are a lot of these people. There, mm-hmm. there aren't, they aren't on other websites. There, I mean, there are a mm-hmm. lot of other websites where like, we just don't have this problem, fingers crossed, at WNPR. <laughs> we just don't have trolls here. Um, and I, the way I'm going to phrase this question is when you stopped writing a, a column for the Hartford Current, did you actually feel some palpable sense of relief that you weren't going to have to jump on the Internet from time to time and see things about you that were uh, either some combination of degrading and menacing? You would think the answer would be yes, but it is really great to find out that you're a hypocrite and uh, a dirty, liberal, knee-jerk feminist and then words that we won't share I've I've been Muslim, I've been gay, I've been African-American, and all these things that are, okay, yeah, great. So I I miss the daily hip check of seeing what a loser I am, because now I think I'm kind of awesome, and I don't have these brilliant Americans lining up to tell me where I'm wrong. I miss them. I hope they're having lovely lives (laughs) in the sewers in which they live. Can I say their names? Because there were about five of them, that one day I will run over their severed heads in a grocery bag. <laughs> well, they didn't know who they were dealing with. Um, and I'm glad it didn't get to you. I'm fine. Yeah. Cheers. I mean, <laughs> you know, I think, Louise, that sometimes this is something that Susan and I are keenly aware of because we produce content that goes on the internet and we see what happens. We see what happens not only to us. I know at least one person who stopped being a newspaper columnist because he couldn't take it anymore. There's the constant barrage of vicious stuff, personal stuff. It really started to get to him. He just stopped writing a column. But it's also directed quite frequently at women commenters too. There's almost, yeah, there seems to be a goal of driving women commenters off these threads. These guys, they seem to need to do it. But I'm not, you know, this is maybe something, is this a phenomenon just as a reader that you're keenly aware of? Oh, yes, definitely. And I've been involved in various online communities over many years since the you know, ancient times of the internet where um, even though I was not necessarily posting, I was more like a lurker and posting only once in a while, it was really annoying uh, to run into these people. And so sometimes we would intervene, other people, not the person that was being targeted, and try to uh, soothe the emotions and tell the person that was targeted, you know, you just don't respond. These are trolls. And eventually sometimes, they, because if they're private communities, you can expel them. Um, but this is this is a bigger issue in other contexts, too. For example, there are college-related websites uh, where people, uh, forums where people go to post anonymously, uh, you know, college name bold, college name confidential. 
where this is very pervasive, especially in terms of things that people wouldn't say publicly towards women or to minorities. Um, and because they are hiding behind anonymous um, identity, this is very, very pervasive. In, in college life, as a professor, I can tell you, in college campuses, this is a really serious problem. So, Jacques, the, uh, you know, the usual wisdom about this is don't feed the trolls, which is to say don't engage with them, don't let them mm-hmm. know that they're bothering you, and that this is just something that we have to live with, like, you know, chiggers in Kansas City <laughs> or something. You just, they're just there. They're going to bite you, and what can you do about it? I don't know. Is that enough? Should we take back the night? Um, well, you know, I liked when the current switch to making people have to log in through Facebook so they could at least own their comments. And I think they've gotten away from that. Is that right? They've gone back to something else. Yeah. Right. yeah. Um, it didn't really solve the problem entirely. But People made up Facebook accounts. Yes. Oh, did they? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, did you guys figure out it was me? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Milo's. <laughs> Come on. But I, uh, I help manage the Mark Twain page. Not just the Twain house, but the Mark Twain author page. And I'll, you know, I'll put some some of his more provocative quotes on knowing that it's going to stir the turd and that, you know, and people will put the most outrageous comments and then I'll respond as Mark Twain and they are shocked that Mark Twain like swiped back at them. And back from the grave and ready to party yeah. or parry. And it's really, uh, it's really kind of funny to watch. I don't have a problem with responding to it, but there's a certain point where you realize that it's you know, it there's no winning with some of these people. Um, but if you can turn it back so that the other people will turn around and mock them, there's some richness in that. I think trolls should understand that for certain personality types, their weirdness just fuels that. Okay, I'm going to write more. I stayed at the current five extra years because <laughs> of two of them. So thank you, trolls. I had a career. The, I would love for a troll to call in and defend their behavior. We, we actually yeah. we, we did one show that was kind of about trolls, although yeah, a real years ago. I remember yeah, yeah. It, it wound up being a little bit more about sort of the 4chan slash anonymous type trolls, not the sort of daily trolls. I, I did actually ask some specific mm-hmm. trolls that that I knew whether they would be willing to go on. It didn't really work out all that well. I will say, and we'll just have to kind of stop it here, so there'll be time for endorsements. I'll kind of make it as an endorsement. A very interesting article by Rebecca Mead, one of our favorite writers in The New Yorker this week, about Mary Beard, who's the kind, of, the kind of British intellectual that we basically don't have in America, which is a British intellectual who's on television a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's a classical studies uh, professor, uh, uh, specialist in Greco-Roman antiquity. But she also gets trolled a lot. And she's developed this, this practice of just kind of domesticating them. Uh, and uh, it's, it's sort of the Rilke notion that every dragon contains a princess. She finds that uh, if she asks them questions about themselves and what's really bothering them, they often are easily <laughs> converted. You know, they, they have a problem. Sometimes she even gets involved after they've called her something horrible and helps them solve their problem and they become these devoted fans. So uh, it's, it's one way to go anyway. I'm not sure I have the spiritual strength to do that with some of my trolls, but uh, it's one way to go. And it does contain some interesting ideas. Let's go to endorsements. Luis, you're first. Okay, so I want to endorse um, the idea of going to the liquor store and telling the people there, the staff, uh, listen, I would like to get a case of, uh, of, of wine, and could you put uh, put it together, whatever, you know, within this price range? I've been doing that recently at a place called Westside Wines in, in West Hartford, Raymond Road, 
Um, and they, it has been far better than me trying to learn and keep up with what is what in wine. I mean, I'm, I have too many other things to figure out in life. And I want to endorse uh, the idea, but also to endorse uh, this particular business. And they have now a blog where they talk about wines. Um, and so I, I, I strongly recommend people thinking about it instead of just having to spend the time figuring it out by themselves. Great idea. Jacques? I want to endorse having parties without children. I've been watching all these Woody Allen movies and it's all these great intellectual people standing around with wine and I just think how many parties get ruined when you bring a child (laughs) (laughs) all right that's an endorsement. Go ahead. <laughs> you hateful thing. I want to endorse two things. One, Susan Schoenberger's book, um, Virtues of Oxygen, Finally Drawn Characters. I loved it. I went to her book uh, a party at Mark Twain House. It was wonderful. And the second thing is the Feminist Film Festival, which is really hard to say, that starts September 18th at CCSU at 1.40 p.m. in Torp Theater with I Am a Girl, Free Food, Panel Discussion. Please come. I look forward to walking out. <laughs> <laughs> I'll um, be the goalie. Yeah. Get back in there. Get back in there, you troll. <laughs> All right. So um, I'm going to quickly endorse, again, that Rebecca Mead article. It's the current issue of The New Yorker. It's about Mary Beard. It's called The Troll Slayer. It's just kind of a mistitle. It's really more like The Troll Whisperer. Uh, but it's a re- very interesting uh, profile of Mary Beard. Um, I'm also going to endorse – I've endorsed um, the, the podcast of my friend Mike Pesca before. It's called The Gist. Uh, if you can find the episode this week where he, he's doing monologues at the beginning of them, and some of them are very funny. His monologue about uh, the announcements on the subway train that he takes uh, heading downtown in New York City uh, and what they seem to be saying over the loudspeaker maybe it just caught me at the right moment. But I, I laughed really hard all the way through this. I mean, it was sort of a multiple laugh moment. I think that might be called LOLZ, but I'm not 100 percent sure. Uh, and then lastly, uh, I've been mentioning this a few times, but now I have some specific instructions to give you. On September 30th, we are celebrating the fifth anniversary uh, of the Colin McEnroe show. It's at the Infinity Hall in Hartford. Uh, all of the glittering, famous, wonderful nose panelists that you've come to love so much will be there. Um, our, yeah, our, I, think, I think our true anniversary is actually this Sunday. That's what Wolfie tells me, but we're, we're, post, we're not going to do that. We're going to September 30th. So how can you, first of all, you're invited. You're invited. You, if you're listening, you're invited. So uh, you go on Eventbrite, which is unfortunately spelled B-R-I-T-E. So Eventbrite, that's all one word. And just type in my name in the search field. There's a search field at the top. You'll get all the instructions. It costs five whole dollars, one for each of our years, to go to this party, and you'll get to drink and enjoy music and have fun uh, and meet nose panelists. And here, Grayson Hugh play this very song live at the Infinity Hall that night. Please do join us. Eventbrite.com. Just type in my name. Howard said that one. Avon. Farmington. Yeah, 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 yeah. on the radio. I'm Kion Wolf, and Obama's suit isn't called taupe. It's called wartime khaki. And he got it on sale in Khakistan. I'm sorry.